Matthew chapter 12 features two Sabbath controversies, and some background is helpful in understanding why the Sabbath was taken so seriously by the Pharisees. It was commandment number four back in Exodus chapter 20, and the given sign of the covenant. In Exodus chapter 31 verse 13, God tells Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel, and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. This was to be the perpetual sign between God and Israel of the covenant that he had made with them. To forget the Sabbath was to forget God. And this was to be taken so seriously that in Numbers chapter 15, verses 32 through 36, we see Israel stoning a man for picking up sticks on the Sabbath. If we look through the prophets, we find Israel consistently ignoring the Sabbath and God pleading with them to remember it and him with it. Moreover, God promised that he would return when Israel began to honor the Sabbath. So it's understandable why some like the Pharisees gave the Sabbath such significance. Unfortunately, though, in their zeal, they had twisted the Sabbath into something oppressive. The first controversy is with Jesus and his disciples over plucking heads of grain to eat. As they pass through the fields, they're allowed to graze it. But according to the Pharisees, that's work. They were harvesting and threshing according to their tradition. And after criticizing Jesus and his disciples, Jesus responds with the example of David. In verses 3 through 4, he said to him, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? David was the national hero of Israel. Yet we can read in 1 Samuel 21 of a time when he went into the tabernacle and ate food that was reserved for the priests. But the Pharisees wouldn't condemn that. In the second Sabbath controversy, there's a man with a withered hand in the synagogue. And they ask if it's lawful to heal this guy. According to their tradition and understanding of what work was, healing people was forbidden. You could stabilize a dying person, but you couldn't do anything to make them get better beyond that on the Sabbath. Jesus argues that any of them would have no qualms about helping one of their own animals who had fallen on the Sabbath. How much more is this man worth, though? Jesus had promised an easy burden at the end of chapter 11. The Sabbath was intended to give man rest from his burdens. But the Pharisees' narrow interpretation of it had turned the Sabbath into a burden itself. God had given the poor of the land the ability to feed themselves by going through the fields, like the disciples had. But the Pharisees refused to allow man to feed himself. The Sabbath was a way to lessen the oppressions faced by God's people. But they refused to remove anything oppressive on the Sabbath. Jesus' healing the withered arm had symbolic value. The Pharisees' narrow traditions had withered their ability to do any good on the Sabbath. Jesus had come to restore the purpose of the day of rest and empower his people to do good. In verses 15 through 21, we have another fulfillment coming from Isaiah chapter 42. It speaks of the Christ's gentle character. He wouldn't be combative and angry all the time. He wouldn't break the fragile or snuff out those who were already sputtering. He would be a gentle servant who would bring in the nations to be among God's people, thus fulfilling God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, verse 3. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Verses 22 through 37 tell of another controversy between Jesus and the Pharisees. During your reading, you likely had one particular verse stand out to you. In verse 31, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. 
Now, isn't God supposed to forgive every sin? Why does this one action remain unforgivable? And why can we blaspheme Jesus, but not the Holy Spirit? It's a verse that's been misapplied or ignored because of the implications that come from it. There are even alleged stories of people who have claimed to be guilty of this one sin, and so then they've given up on the entire project. If I can't be forgiven of this one sin, why bother trying with the rest? Context is important, and we should remember that this one verse is part of a larger conversation that Jesus has with the Pharisees. It begins with Jesus healing a demon-possessed man. The Pharisees, unable to deny that some sort of supernatural act has occurred, instead attribute Jesus' power to Satan. When the Pharisees heard it in verse 24, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Beelzebul has been tied to various etymologies or other gods, but all we need to know is that in verse 26, Jesus simply replaces the name with Satan. The two are interchangeable names for the same being. And Jesus counters the Pharisees' claim with two arguments. First, Satan and his kingdom aren't divided. Casting out demons does nothing but harm the devil, so why would he empower Jesus to do just that? Second, Jewish exorcists existed. By whose power did they cast out demons? The only reason the Pharisees claimed Jesus did this by the power of Satan was because they had already made up his mind that they didn't like him. Jesus isn't an agent of Satan. He's the one breaking into his house, tying him up, and stealing back the lost souls. You're either with Jesus or against him, and Jesus and Satan are definitely not on the same team. Jesus condemns the Pharisees for being inconsistent in verses 33 through 37. If a tree bears good fruit, then it's a good tree. If Jesus is doing good things, then he must be a good man. And with all this context in mind, we can now get a better grasp of what it means to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. The Pharisees had been given innumerable signs to prove that Jesus was the Christ. They saw his good works, they saw the miracles, they saw enough that clearly taught them that Jesus was from God. But even though they knew it, they continued to deny it. Numbers chapter 15, verses 28 through 31, describe two types of sin. There is the unintentional sin, that one realized and atoned for through sacrifice, that's forgiven. But in verse 30, we have what God calls the high-handed sin, where one reviles God. It's the sin that knows the power and reality of God, but chooses to rebel against him anyways. That person would not be forgiven, but cut off from the people. And when Numbers 15.30 was translated into Greek, the same language of the New Testament, it used the word blaspheme. We blaspheme the Holy Spirit when we see and recognize all of its power, just like the Pharisees, but deny its authority over us. Verses 38-42 through 42 continue to show how stubborn the Pharisees were in rejecting Jesus. In verse 28, they ask for yet another sign, repeating the sins of Israel in the wilderness who could never trust God, no matter how much he had done to prove himself. So Jesus is done with them. No other signs going to be given except the sign of Jonah. Just as he was in the belly of the great fish, so Jesus will be in the tomb and be raised on the third day. Verses 43 through 45 are connected to what we've been reading. It's a warning that if Jesus' audience fails to take the road to discipleship, then they're headed for something much worse. They were able to reject the national sins of idolatry that had initially led to the exile and Roman oppression. But on refusing to fill themselves with the Spirit of God, they were leaving themselves open to a much worse state. If they're not with Jesus, they're certainly going to be against him in the near future. 
So chapter 12 has shown us that there's a growing divide between Jesus and his enemies. On one side stands Jesus with his disciples. On the other stand those who never chose to follow him. There is no third option. There is no neutrality. You have to pick a side. Even the family of Jesus has to make a decision and can't rely on merely being related to him. Whoever does the will of God, that's the family of Jesus. Jesus.